gonna rock these shades Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here is a double shot from our featured artist today, Sarah Rogo. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
days Days I felt would never end I've seen shadows cast over my eyes Not much longer with the shadows haunt my mind I am maker The only loser is the one that begs to from her brand new release and we got uh Shara on the line right now uh how you doing i'm i'm doing great how are you i'm doing pretty well now this is the first time you've been on our show uh and we always like to give our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are and the best way to do that is to look at your journey how you got to where you are today so give us the story of, and I'm going to try and pronounce this right, um, Shara Rogo. Sara, yeah, Sara. Okay, Sara so, yeah. Rogo. Uh, tell me the story of Sara Rogo. Jeez. Well, um, I mean, in terms of music, you know, I, I'm pretty much a, a child of the public library. Um, you know, when I was younger... I just would spend all my time, you know, at the public library in this uh, little city in Connecticut and, um, you know, reading books, but also uh, exploring the CD department. You know, I would just take home, you know, piles of CDs um, from all different styles and I would I would just dig into them. You know, my parents 
weren't particularly into music. So a lot of like my, my music education came from just kind of browsing the shelves. And um, yeah, I just explored different styles from around the world. And uh, I was also playing saxophone at that time just as a child and band and just really got into jazz and also classical music. Um, I picked up the bassoon along the way just to play in the orchestra and yeah, so I was really actually into jazz and classical. Um, but then I, I also discovered the blues um, when I was in early high school, and I just I fell in love with it. So, um, you know, I just continued to just pursue all these different types of instruments that could help me kind of get closer to, to music. Um, and, yeah, with that, I, I actually ended up with a scholarship to Berklee College of Music, and I actually started out with saxophone there. Um, and I kind of honestly had an identity crisis when I came and I realized that I like to play guitar far more than I like to play saxophone. Um, so I actually ended up switching and kind of just falling in love with, uh, American roots music and studying just the intricacies of, um, you know, how the guitar can, can really, um, shape shape music and I loved it because you could just play all by yourself and you could tell a whole story and paint a whole picture with with just the guitar um yeah so I graduated and I just I went on the road with my mentors my guitar mentors Paul Rochelle Woody Mann Annie Rains and um yeah we just went on tour to the south of Mississippi and Arkansas and um yeah just learned kind of the rules of the road and you know moved out to California after and worked my butt off and here we are still still working my butt off <laughs> okay now um let's talk a little bit about uh your new release when if you were to come up to someone uh on the street and and give them the elevator pitch in other words you had to kind of Give them a, a synopsis of what this is about to get them excited about this release. What would you tell them? So this uh, this album is called Sunfall, and it's subtitled The Blues Mantras and Instrumentals for the Evening Hours. And I say that it's an album that encapsulates the woods at twilight. Um, it actually paints, uh, it, it, the whole album paints the story, paints an image of the woods at twilight, um, particularly in my mind, the sequoias, that's just because where I, I go to the Sequoia National Forest a lot and wrote a lot of these songs there. And I just, I've, I, I fallen in love with the woods, but especially around that time where it's, it's not quite day, not quite night. It's just kind of in between and all the colors are just like really beautiful. And you could just slip into like, you know, your own spirituality. And um, yeah, it's, really mystical to me so that that's that's kind of my my elevator pitch is just you know a, a tone poem an ode to the woods at twilight okay now um let's talk about you as a songwriter um when you sit down to begin that process what is your mechanism that kind of allows you to switch on the muse well that's a great question um sometimes an idea comes so strongly that you just kind of stop in your tracks, like whatever you're doing and you record it or write it down. But a lot of the times it is a discipline. It's like a discipline of, of, um, 
really encouraging yourself to sit your butt down and just pull out your guitar or pull out your pen. And oftentimes the creativity kind of flows flows from that space of discipline. You know, people think that sometimes things fall out of the sky, and, and they really do, these ideas, but um, a lot of times you, ha- you have to learn how to become disciplined to that spirit, so to speak. You have to, you have to learn when that creative, like, voice is knocking, so to speak, and also to, um, yeah, I think discipline to me is, is the word. Okay. Uh, now, of course, um, every songwriter has their toolkit. Um, and technology has really brought us some great tools over the years, uh, whether it's the cell phone for capturing ideas or having a home recording studio, the layout structure, and then write to that structure. What are some of the tools that you have found to be indispensable to you as a writer? Well, definitely the voice memos on the phone. And in fact, I do a little bit of mixing and mastering work for other people. And you'd be surprised how many actual phone voice memos that I mix and master for release because sometimes you just capture something so miraculous. But that being said, a big current um, tool in my toolbox because of that reasoning, you know, where sometimes you just capture something in the moment and it's never going to be like that again but you want to get a really good quality. I love the idea of having like a zoom recorder, like a high quality field recorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially for a lot of my compositions that are, are just guitar or are just guitar and voice. It can kind of just happen within that instant. And that can actually be the performance that ends up, um, on the record. Not always, but sometimes. So I think that's, that's the technology that I, that I love the most. Um, but I, I do believe in a good simple, home recording studio as well that anybody can build with not too much money right right now um i'm always curious about the difference between um finding melody and of course lyric now this is of course an uh, uh, an instrumental correct the whole album no so most of the tracks are instrumental but there are um some songs sprinkled throughout that have words but um, the songs that have words, you know, they aren't, uh, for the most part, like verse, chorus, or verse, or phrase. Sometimes they're just kind of repeating phrases, kind of like mantras. Um, and, and, and a few of them do have, um, you know, a verse and a chorus. But for the most part, yeah, they are either instrumental or they're experimental in the, in the aspect where it's not your typical, like, radio format of a song. Well, you know, the thing that I've always found curious is is the that dichotomy between lyric and, and melody, uh, where lyric, to me, is a very structured kind of thing. It's a craft where you have to have a story and continuity and rhyme and meter, but melody is a little different, and it's a different, I guess, a different part of the brain that, that comes up with melodic ideas. Um, some songwriters like to work off of a groove and allow those melodies to free form. Others like the constrainment of a chord progression or even, um, you know, allowing the, the, the lyric itself to dictate through its cadence where the melody should go. 
what is kind of your go-to when you start looking for your melodic ideas? Well, when I'm looking for melodic ideas, I'm thinking about, and and when I say thinking, I mean I'm kind of thinking more with my heart because I, I've studied, you know, theory and how music can, what works and what doesn't. But I'm kind of thinking about um, how, how a good melody works, you know, whether it's like repetition or um, using certain intervals or honestly just like kind of some quote-unquote rules of composition. Um, granted, that being said, I try not to think about them as rules or put myself in any type of box, but um, when, when it comes to melody making, um, I, I do sometimes think about modes, you know, within music theory, I do think about what would happen if I, you know, made this, you know, I lowered the fourth degree of the scale and it, it comes out a little bit more mystical or what would happen if I repeated this line and altered it a bit. Um, so I, I don't want to say I rely on theory because I really don't, but I do have experience just studying music, especially in the past with the saxophone. It's just a strictly melodic instrument. I've studied a lot of melodies and like what works and what really, what really resonates within, you know, an ear. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of just think about, you know, the, the biology, if you will, of what a good melody can do. Okay. Now, um, of course, every songwriter has that moment where they have to um, put down the pen and they have to declare the song, at least in the writing phase, as being finished and give it to the producer, the engineer, the, the musicians, allow them to kind of put their fingerprints on it. What do you do to determine when a song is ready to move to that phase? I think that's a great question. Um, one, I think one could say you never like truly know, but my marker of that is performance. You know, um, when even if it's just like an online performance of streaming or something, but um, whether it's an open mic or a gig or a live stream or something, but I, I try to perform um, the songs because when I when it's bounced off an audience um, or a, a, a demo recording and I take it for a drive or something, I, I try to like allow the song to like be experienced through some type of mode. Um, yeah. And, and I'll oftentimes I'll allow it to sit, I'll give a break and then I'll either go perform it or I'll take a drive and listen to the demo or, um, yeah, really just playing it for, for people because you really notice like when it bounces off somebody, even if they don't say anything, you kind of even spiritually and energetically kind of feel like what's sticking with it. And if there's any holes, holes in it, um, that need to be, need to be fixed. Okay. Now, um, tell me a little bit uh, about the lineup on this. Yeah, so Sunfall is an interesting album. It's it's actually the most it's it's a very different type of album that I've ever done and probably ever will do. Um, I do write albums where they're singer songwriter songs or they're rock songs or they're blues songs, and they have a full band or you know. But this album is really really a very concept driven album, and even how it was recorded is very part of that concept. Um, a lot of these songs are first take and some of them are even improvised on the spot and some are recorded, 
in an airstream, you know, or, and you know, camping airstream and some are recorded in my home studio. Like I kind of just allow these songs to come out very naturally. So a lot of them are just guitar and vocal recorded live, just me right there in a home, really basic home studio. Um, I did after the fact on some of these songs, I did add some, um, strings. I have some friends who play strings. I added strings, um, and, um, some background vocals, um, some friends, you know, actually an interesting story on the very last track, all of these things must die. It was actually, I recorded this whole album during COVID and, um, I just heard in my mind, like a chorus of people singing this chorus. And I sent the track to my friends and even with just their phones, they sang the part um, over my recording and I ended up using that in the recording. So my, my closest friends, even if they're not professional musicians, like they're, they're on that recording. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's actually a very simple album. It's really just me and my guitar. Um, I, I use a few different types of guitar, but, um, it's really just me and my guitar. And occasionally I will, I'll have, um, a violin, which is Andy, um, Motoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I just, I love the simplicity of it. And I think it really lends itself to, you know, painting a picture and ode to the woods at twilight where I'm happiest when I'm alone in nature. Okay. Now, um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, getting it out there. Now, you're working with Larry Kay from Night Train uh, Promotions. Um, how did that relationship begin? <laughs> it's, a great, it's actually great. I think it's a great story. Um, I am very, I'm a bit dubious of, of certain types of PR and industry people. And, you know, I, you know, I've, I've been, oh, yeah, I I've been robbed before, you know, so, so it's interesting though. I, I, I put this out on pre, you know, I scheduled the release of this and I guess Larry just found it on, um, like the iTunes, like pre-order list or whatever. And he listened to it and he, you know, he took notes. I mean, he really actually, uh, you know, listened to it and he emailed me, he just cold emailed me and he was like, Hey, I, you know, listened to the samples of, of this and it sounds like this meets this and I could do this, this, and this, and this is who I am. And, you know, I don't have any social media because I focus on, focus on the work. And I was like, honestly, like I'd be down to chat because I like your vibe. So, um, <laughs> you know, here we are. So, um, yeah, I just appreciated the, the, the research and the care because it, it's a concept album. It, you know, one, a normal, well, he is a normal publicist, but like uh, how a publicist would normally go about like pitching a record, it's not going to work for this type of record because it's a concept album. A lot of them are instrumental. A lot of them are experimental and it, it has to be treated as such. You can't just pitch it to Rolling Stone or, you know, commercial radio. It's just not going to work. Right. Right. Now, um, Let's talk a little bit about the industry. You know, being a graduate of Berkeley School of Music, I'm sure that they gave you a pretty round, well-rounded kind of education in how the industry works. But unfortunately, the industry is changing almost weekly. You know, it's... Um, I mean, we've been in this digital revolution now for over 30 years, and... 
you know, the consumer today has embraced streaming as a way to consume music. Unfortunately, recorded music now no longer has a status as a product. It's now a service. This shift in perception by the consumer has really affected the independent artist community, I think, more than most of the industry. Um, how has this shift in perception affected you as an artist? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've spent my time being bitter about it, but uh, okay. I think if I'm if I'm being honest, if I'm being truly honest with myself, when I go on Spotify and I'm I have a little playlist of mine that I'm just I don't know roller skating to or driving to. And that playlist ends and this algorithm comes on and puts together a curated playlist based on what it thinks I like. I find some really amazing music. You know, I, I have discovered music that I would have never, I mean, it's like my public library. It's like my, my current version of, you know, that exploration of finding new things. So of course, if, if I, if I'm finding new music, I got to believe that other people can find me as well. So I'm trying to have a little hope in, in that system of, you know, you know, AI and, and, and anybody can, anybody's music can be discovered. You don't have to be signed to a big major label because at the, at the end of the day, like, yeah, the industry is different, but back in the day you weren't heard if you weren't, you weren't under some major label and that comes with a lot of complications as well. So, you know, I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's great, but it is hard. I mean, it, it, you have to be a lot smarter with how you make it, how you monetize it, and you know, it's it, it, it does stink. I mean, for every every stream, you get you know point zero zero one cent or something. So it is difficult, and I just have to be really really smart, not put all my eggs into one basket, and just keep keep learning as things keep changing. Right. Well, you know, if if you really look at how streaming is structured right now, especially in terms of uh, independent artists, and let's face it, the independent artist community is what is supplying the bulk of their content. Um, it's not a sustainable business model. It's not something you can't continue to ask artists to, you know, hire studios or even build their own studios because either one of them is is not a cheap endeavor uh hire musicians record uh put all that time effort and money into it and not at least give them the opportunity to break even you know what i mean and and recoup that investment through some sort of monetization of that recorded project um, and we need to change that that dichotomy. We need to change that how this you know operates. What do you think needs to happen to kind of change that dynamic to get us to a point where we're getting a f fairly compensated for the recorded work that we're putting out there? I mean, you know, the hard part is for me with that is that it's it's not really just on the the platforms like, you know, Spotify or iTunes or whatever. It's it's not just on, I mean, yes, Spotify could be paying more. We all know that. And they should be. But at the same time, 
it, it also rests in the hearts of the consumers as well. You know, like what they're willing to to pay for and and if if they just want, you know, because before Spotify, we had LimeWire where a lot of people and kids were just downloading, pirating all this music anyway. So um, in some, at that time, they were like, oh, this is the death of the industry is LimeWire, you know. So I think there's always going to be something. I think it's up to the, the hearts of the consumers to um, really value what... Um, they're getting from the artist. But that being said, I think there's also now an opportunity for the artists to create opportunities for fans to um, to give them money, you know, whether it's subscriber pages or merchandise or, you know, fundraisers or I don't know, the list could go on. But um, I think it's, it's not just about demanding um, things from, you know, the big platforms but it's also raising awareness to somehow with uh, to fans I, I i was just talking to a fan of mine today and he was like i i talking to you because he, he's a friend of mine now and he's a guitar student of mine and he says you know listening to you talk about all the intricacies of what you have to do to make a living or just to make it it makes me have such more of an appreciation where before I just thought things kind of just happen. You're talented, you get heard. And the reality is that like, that's not really the case, but I don't think fans and the people understand that. And I think maybe if they knew they would invest more and they would be okay with their Spotify monthly rate uh, rising. So artists could be getting paid more. Well, you know, if you really look at it, I mean, the guy who's running Spotify, is probably has more money than any of the artists that are being played on his platform. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a, a matter of lack of revenue. I think it's a matter of lack of ability for or the um, wherewithal for these companies to actually fairly compensate uh, artists for their work. Uh, and a, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the music industry as a whole is extremely glutted with middlemen. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. you know, for every artist, there is at least there's a line of people with their hands out every time you make a release, whether it's an aggregator or a distributor or a streaming service or, uh, you know, CD Baby, you know, all of these, you know, entities all taking a piece of the pie. And I read this article where it said that, you know, of the billions of dollars that are generated through the music industry, 12% gets back to the artist. Now, that's a really terrible statistic. When you look at, let's say, the sports industry, you know, these athletes that perform in the sports arena, you know, they're getting almost... 40 to 45 percent of the incoming revenue back to them so there is a huge disparity in the music industry when it comes to how money is distributed and one of the things that i'm hearing and as i watch the industry is this whole idea of decentralizing this the music industry uh, using that same technology that uh cryptocurrency uses um, they're 
creating streaming platforms like Audius, Emanate, Audiolocks, uh, which are based on this blockchain technology that cryptocurrency uses to secure itself. And they're claiming that they now can pay an artist up to 80% of the incoming revenue on these streaming services as opposed to what Spotify is paying. And um, also, it's a more direct relationship between the artist and the fans since they run the platform. It's not a, a, a single entity or corporation that runs it. It's more of a, a networking node thing. Um, what do you think of that as a potential future for the industry? You know, I think it, in all its complexities, you know, I think it, it could be a thing. I I don't know the ins and outs of it, but what I do know is that, you know, every, you know, every up has its down, every dark has its light. So, you know, it, there's inherently going to be flaws and problems in kind of any system. Um, but, I mean, I definitely, you know, support artists getting more of the cut and, and, and there being more of a closeness between you know, fans and artists, but you know, it's also, it's also up to the artists as well. Like if we were going to decide on doing that, we got to hold the line, you know, if, if we have to jump ship on Spotify and iTunes, if we're going to do something like that. So I think it, you know, it, it, there's a lot of different factors, you know, at play here. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of people want to do like what's easiest or what's most convenient. Um, not saying that's right or wrong, but well, yeah, and I agree. The consumer really doesn't care uh, about any of these issues that we have as artists. I mean, let's face it. You know, they want to pay their $10 a month and they want to get unlimited music and be able to listen to everything that's been recorded in the last hundred years. You know, it's yeah. it's what we have that's, today. Yeah, that's Don't take it away. You know, kind of a thing. Yeah, but, totally. If you look at the history of the digital revolution over the course of the last, let's say, 25 years, you know, we started out with, you know, LimeWire and Napster and everybody sharing and everyone saying, oh, this will never stop. You know, these things can't be stopped because it's, you know, it's all over the Internet. And next thing you know, Apple comes along with iTunes and everyone is buying 99 cent downloads. You know, and then everyone said, oh, this is Apple. It's too big to fail. It's huge. They'll dominate the industry forever. And then along comes Spotify and streaming. And now, you know, who's got an iPod now? You know, nobody's got iPods. So everyone now is streaming off their phone. Uh, so the, you know, the uh, overriding uh, uh, history shows us that change is inevitable. We will change. The consumer will follow the artist and they will follow the technology as it advances. Um, streaming is very convenient. A lot of these new streaming services are based on the same tech, same kind of front end that you know Spotify has. And I think if Spotify doesn't adopt to these new uh, technologies that they're going to be left behind much like the iPod and the uh, the Napsters have been left behind up to this point. 
Do you think that's a possibility? Oh, I mean, they're, they're always going to have to adapt. I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I always believe that art is going to win. You know, I, I, I just think, I, you know, I, I do think about these things a lot, and I do think they're important because, you know, artists need to be paid. But in my personal life, like, I, I think, I think in a way that I have bigger fish to fry, into whether it's personally or spiritually or within this world, like, I, I don't want to hyper-focus on, you know, whether what platform is doing what. Yes, I do need to think about the things as an artist who needs to make money and put food on her table. But I think what I'm, where I'm at now is focusing on creating really good music and creating really good connections with my fans. And through that, I actually do get income, whether it's through shows or through my subscriber page. Um, through my lesson videos, through my private lessons on Zoom. Um, you know, at the end of the day, yes, we should be getting paid for our actual content, like our streaming. But in my mind, I think I could just keep digging a hole. I could just keep spiraling into the worry of, like, I'm not getting paid enough for streaming versus creating solutions with my fans about how to make a living while this is all getting figured out. Because I think there's always going to be holes in the system. But, um, you know, fighting for, you know, of course, good pay within streaming, but simultaneously focusing on really good art and, and creating other opportunities to, um, you know, create um, income for myself within music. Because I, I think streaming is always going to be a reality um, just because of how things are starting. It, it's just easier, you know, and I, I find I, I actually quite like it, so I don't have to have a million CDs at my house. You know, I, I personally enjoy streaming. Um, so I think hopefully there'll be some solutions in the future and hopefully iTunes and Spotify can keep up with the needs of artists because we are what drive, we are what drive it all. Yeah. We are the music, you know? Yeah. So, For um, sure. now one of the other things is that when the pandemic hit, of course, a lot of artists started going on to the internet and they started to, interact with their fans in order to stay connected to them uh, through doing live streams, creating content, and even uh, going beyond the music and and giving our fans kind of that behind-the-scenes look at our world, whether it is hobbies we do or interests that we have outside of the music. And the fans really gravitated towards that. I think... You know, um, we've been in this world of reality shows for 30 years. So, you know, the the mindset is there to accept that kind of content. Um, and, you know, social media has become, you know, the, a way of branding ourselves. And that's kind of the new product. How are you utilizing this technology to help this current project as well as advancing your brand as an artist? Yeah, I mean, I think in the past I have been a little bit more reluctant on sharing things other than music only because I didn't want to seem like I was, you know, trying to be a certain way. But I think, you know, as it's proven, it's like fans really want to get to know you as an artist. So, I've been, you know, working on that more and, and allowing, you know, fans and subscribers to see, um, you know, a lot of the different aspects of my life and like different hobbies that fuel my music and 
um, how I go about my artistic process, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, I was even reluctant towards TikTok, but, you know, I'm on TikTok now. And you know what? I, I, I'm done being bitter about it. I think it's uh, there's parts of it that's very silly, but there's parts of it that's really wonderful. I'm I'm, I'm enjoying myself, um, whether it's teaching micro lessons on there or Instagram or YouTube or something, or just sharing, you know, a bit about, uh, you know, what I'm inspired by. So, yeah, I, I definitely feel like I, I have been trying to utilize, um, you know, this technology to allow the fans to see, like, you know, a bit more into, like, my inner artist world. And, you know, especially with this new concept album, you know, it's, it, it is a concept album, not just because it's about the woods entirety, but it's also with how it was created. It wasn't, you know, I, I, in a way it's brave to release something that doesn't, it's not recorded in a $10,000 studio. It's recorded in a little airstream in an, in an RV park, you know? Um, so just sh- sharing glimpses of that, you know, with fans and, and that encouraging them, like you don't need really expensive, crazy things to make art, or you can just improvise something really beautiful. And that can be what ends up, on the album. Um, and I, I just think that's really cool. Like I'm very different from the past where you would need the record deal to get into this expensive studio. And then the A&R people, and it has to be this type of record. And then it does this. And whereas now, like you can just record a voice memo on your phone and it could just be the next big, big thing. You know, you just don't know. Okay. Well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. It's oh, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You may just want to turn it up. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun today.
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Gonna rock these shades. 